Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Guys, go ahead and take your seat. Again, I am not Pastor Chet. Unfortunately, he's not able to be with us tonight, but he will be here. I know I was really hoping to hear him teach uh, Hebrews chapter 7, and I know he's going to come back. He asked me just to kind of do a little brief overview. So if you want, you could put your fingers in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7, as well as Genesis chapter 14. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 7, Genesis 14. But you know what? I have been loving, again, I don't know about you, but I have been loving this series. And the last four Sundays or so, every Sunday, someone has come up to me and they've been sharing with me how God has been speaking to their hearts through this teaching of, through the book of Hebrews. And I love that. Because Hebrews starts off that way in Hebrews 1, 1, where it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through his son. Again, God is a God who wants to communicate. He wants to speak to our hearts. But the big question is, are we listening? Are we listening to the Lord? I was, I don't know about, I was listening to John Corson this last week. He's teaching there in Deuteronomy. And he was talking about how when the Lord spoke to the people and they heard the Lord speak, if they didn't obey, then they were to kill those people, you know? And I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of brutal. But then he says, you know, we're going to start doing that on staff. You come in for counseling. If we, if you don't listen to what we say, then do boom, go, go on. You'd be done with you. But in a sense, it's so important because God is speaking and he's speaking to each and every one of our hearts. And I love that about this book, how it starts and as we've been going through. And again, the writer is just talking about how, how Jesus is greater, that Jesus is better. He's, he's greater than the angels. He, he's greater than even Moses, which the Jews, again, this is a Jewish writer writing to Jewish people who were extremely religious. But he's talking about, he's kind of like addressing all of their things that they held so high to kind of say, no, no, but Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He's greater than than Joshua. Jesus, as he's telling us, is so much greater. And as I was thinking about that, I started thinking in my own life, what do I think is something that's great? What do you think as you're sitting there? What do you think is something that is great in your, in your thoughts and in your minds? What is that? Maybe it's a boyfriend. Ah, oh, my boyfriend. Hey, maybe it's a girlfriend. Oh, this is so great. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's the kids. Maybe, you know, um, one of our ushers, uh, Manny had went out fishing when we were, when we were over in Austria and he sends me this pictures of this 125 pound tuna. And I mean, I'm all jealous. I'm like, Oh my gosh, who wouldn't want to catch 125 pound tuna and stuff? And they, but maybe it's, maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's the Dodgers. Do you like our Dodger sign? Kind of like, yeah, LA. Anyways, maybe it's the Dodger. <laughs> I see it. No. <laughs> Proud Dodgers, sure, yeah. But what is it that you think in your mind is something that is great? You know what? Again, as 
as the writer of the Hebrews is writing to very religious people who are very religious in their ways, but in their minds, their religion is what they felt like was great. They felt like, no, no, it's Abraham. No, it's Moses. It's Joshua. It's the temple. It's the high priest, as we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. But maybe for us, what you think is great or the ultimate thing, it's, it's Calvary Chapel. And maybe it's Pastor Chet. Can I tell you that if we look at anything that is greater than Jesus, we're going to have problems. We're going to have problems. Listen, listen, I know for me, a lot of times it's the job. I think the job is great. Or I think I'm a great husband or I think I'm a great father or whatever those things are. If I think that I'm great or this is great for me and I'm putting that above Jesus Christ, the writer to the Hebrews says, no, 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 Pat, you put that above. You're going to have issues. You're going to have some problems. But then he goes on to talk about, as we talked about in chapter five and six, that uh, if we are claiming to be Christians, we should be walking in obedience as he did. And we should be progressing in our walk. We are the pilgrims, and the Bible calls us that pilgrims. He's going to call us that in Hebrews as well. And a pilgrim is a traveler on a journey to a holy place. He's, he's kind of passing through. He has a light handle on the things of this earth and this world, and he's moving closer and closer. In fact, in Hebrews 5.8, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And then the writer to the Hebrews is saying, hey guys, listen, listen, I would love it if you guys were more mature because I want to give you some meat, but because you're not very mature and because you're still all about childish things, I I can just give you milk. But we should be growing. In fact, when we get to chapter 11, the, the hall of faith uh, that he goes through, speaking of these men and women, he says this in, in chapter 11, verse 13. He says, all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them. They embraced him. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And then he goes on to say, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Again, listen, these old men of women of faith, they were walking along. They realized this world is not my home, but I am just passing through. But there is a place that I'm going to go that God has prepared for me. And by faith, that's where they wanted to go. In fact, um, Peter would tell us that it's we get an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for each and every one of us. But but that's not here. I think oftentimes we kind of have a real tight grip on the things here, and then we're missing that abundant life. We're missing the things that God really wants to do. But then in Hebrews again, he starts talking about that Jesus is greater, even than the high priest, than Aaron. And this was somebody that they, they elevated. In fact, in chapter four, the writer to the book of Hebrews begins to bring up this concept. 
that Jesus, and he goes from chapter four, I don't know if you know this or not, but he goes from chapter four all the way through chapter 10. So all of these kind of has the same train of thought as he's walking us through kind of about this whole thing, that Jesus is our high priest. And yet in the Jewish mind, they, they understood the high priest because for them, the priest was the one who actually went and he offered the sacrifice. If you guys remember when the children of Israel, they were in bondage for some 400 and something years there in Egypt. And as they are there, as they are in bondage, they cry out and God sends Moses to deliver them from their bondage. And then he goes there and, and then God says, hey, listen, he does all of the plagues, finally comes to the last plague. And he says, what I want you to do is you're going to go out and you're going to get a lamb. Then you're going to bring that lamb into your house. And then you're going to kill that lamb at twilight. You're going to take the blood of that lamb. You're going to put it on the doorpost. And then you're going to get fully clothed like you're going on a journey. Not, you're not going to put your PJs on, but you're going to get fully clothed like you're going on a journey. And then you're going to sit and you're going to partake. You're going to partake of this meal. And then the angel of death is going to go through the land. And the angel of death is going to bring about death to every house he sees except for the house that has the blood on the doorpost. Hey, Christian, do you understand that, that the angel of death bypasses us if we have allowed the blood of Jesus Christ to come in and to affect our lives? In a sense, that's why they called it the Passover. The angel of death, he passed over those houses. And we as believers, why? Because we believe that Jesus is the, the, the resurrection and the life. And though we die, yet we don't really die, we get to live on with him and that death will not affect us because the blood has covered us and the angel of death passes over. But then they go in Exodus 20, they, you know, they, the, the, the Lord gives them the 10 commandments in Exodus 25, they build the tabernacle where the high priest is going to go in and offer the sacrifices. But then I love this in Exodus 28 uh, verses one, two, and it says, um, God tells Aaron, he says, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So God tells Moses, hey, I'm going to put it in the hearts of some men and women that they are gifted in making garments for glory and beauty. I remember the very first time that I read that verse, I got so excited because I felt like God spoke to my heart and said, Pat, I want to use you in hearts and lives of other people to make them garments for glory and for beauty. Guys, listen, God wants to do that with each and every one of us. He wants to use your life in the lives of other people to make garments for them for glory and for beauty. If you so desire to allow the Lord to use you in that way. But then it goes on and you get to the book of Leviticus where it walks through how the priest was to offer all these different sacrifices but it says this in Leviticus 6, 1. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord, then it shall be because he sinned and is guilty, he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven. The priest shall make atonement for him. This word for atonement, it simply, it means to cover. It's to cover. And that's what the high priest did 
for the people to cover the sins. Listen, the high priest did not make those sins go away. He didn't make them go away, but, but he was used to cover the sins. That's why there had to be continually offering for sin. In fact, the, the writer to Hebrews in 10.4 says, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It, it, it did not take away the sin, but it just covered them. That's why... He's going to go on to describe and tell us that we need a high priest that is greater. We need a high priest that is better. And the writer, the Hebrews, he brings this concept about by speaking back in chapter five about a guy named Melchizedek. And he talked about this guy named Melchizedek in chapter five, and then he's going to go in to a very long explanation in chapter seven. I know Chet wants to teach us, so I'll let him do that next week uh, for most of this. But uh, there in Psalms 110, verse four, one, one simple verse. In fact, this guy Melchizedek, there's a couple verses in Genesis, one verse in Psalms, and then the writer to the Hebrews uses this, and he, this whole chapter of seven is going to talk about this guy Melchizedek. But he says there in Psalms 110.4, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And the writer begins to develop this theme about the better high priest, the new high priest, and where this high priest would come from. And then the writer of Hebrews, as we looked at last week there in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where he says this. He says, this hope, chapter 6, verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor to the soul. And I love that when Pastor Chet was teaching last week. This hope we have as an anchor to the soul. I don't know if you guys remember or not, but Chet really drove this home. I was sitting right over there and I was kind of smiling and laughing the whole time he's teaching because he said, listen, the anchor is only good to what it's attached to. And he said that over and over. The anchor is only good to what it's attached to. And the reason that I was smiling was because I had this little experience years ago. Listen, I was pastoring a little tiny church up in Whidbey Island, Washington, which is in the Puget Sound. At the north end of our island, if you were to go west, you go out the Puget Sound, and it's a direct shot right out to the Pacific Ocean, where there's this stuff up there that's called salmon. You guys probably know what salmon is. It's a fish, right? Now, listen, listen. The, the island, our island, there was three different salmon that hit our island. Do you guys know that there's a salmon that, yeah, it, it, when they come in and they go up the river, some of them go like a couple hundred miles. They go all the way up into Canada. I mean, these salmon, they lay their eggs and the, the fish are born. They go all the way back down to the river into the Puget Sound. They come up and then they head out to the ocean. And then they do this loop. Like they go all the way over to Japan. They go to Alaska and then they come back in. It's, it takes three years for a certain kind of salmon. For another kind of salmon, it takes five years. So every five years they come in. And then there's another kind of salmon that it takes seven years. But the salmon would come in and when they would come by the island, they would come and they hit. Well, if you're going to go fishing off the beach, which we used to, I used to do all the time, uh, you go at high tide, like an hour before, hour after high tide. And you go, and you've probably seen this. I was standing out there. There'd be like 400 guys lined up all the way around this bay, all standing there fishing. And you could watch the people down at that end, like they start catching them. You know, okay, they're coming through, they're coming through, and you just throw your pole. You catch them right off the beach, and you bring them in if you like salmon. Anyways, there was a day when I decided, I'm going to put the boat in the water, and we're going to go out, and we're going to kind of drift. 
drift in the, in the fish. And we're out there drifting. And I mean, I'm catching fish, catching fish. And you got a limit. So I'd catch four. And then I'd call somebody and say, hey, if you got a fishing license, come down. I'll give you four fish. And they'd come down. I'd give them four fish so I could go back and keep, keep fishing. You know, because if they catch you with more fish than that, you know, and stuff. But then one time we got to a spot. And when we got to the spot, I go, oh, man, this is a great spot. I'm going to throw the anchor out. And, and we're going to just stay right here. So I go and I grab the anchor and I throw it overboard. And he's like, you know, it's going out. And I got my hand and the rope's going through my hand, right? And then I look down and I see the end of the rope. And the end of the rope comes up through my hand. and <laughs> The anchor's only good to what it's attached to. And if it ain't attached to anything, and I know my wife, she didn't even say a word. She just looked at me and I'm like, yeah, that was supposed to be attached to the boat. And if that had been attached to the boat, I would have stopped. I would have been anchored. But are we, as Pastor Chet was sharing last week, are we anchored into Jesus Christ? Because listen, if we're not anchored into him, we're going to just keep drifting. We're going to just keep drifting. But he says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, again, according to the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abram, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually, verse four. And now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, gave a tenth of the spoils. You know, listen, it tells us twice that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of what he had, but, but really the writer is going to use this as a picture of Abraham, this father of the Jewish faith who gave honor and a tithe or a tenth. That's what the word tithe means. It means a tenth uh, to this guy, Melchizedek. And then over the next few chapters, he's going to describe and explain why our great high priest, Jesus Christ, did not come from that Levitical priesthood of Aaron or the line of Aaron, but came from a greater or a better priesthood. And it's the priesthood of Melchizedek. One thing I just, as I was reading through this, and I just wanted to quote, or just stop here. I know we have a lot of new people in the church and we have a lot of young believers in the church. And I remember when I was a new believer, I was a young believer, uh, this whole tithing thing or giving stuff, it, I didn't quite figure it out. You know, like when I was little, my parents would put a quarter in my pocket and say, you give this to God. And when the basket go by, sometimes I would pull it out and, you know, throw it in the basket. Sometimes I wouldn't, I'd just keep it. I can go buy some gum or something like that. But in a sense of, hey, you're giving to God. God, you're giving to God. Well, I love the fact that the Bible says to whom much is given, they love much. They've been, they've been forgiven. They, to, if you've been forgiven much, you'll love much. And I know for me, God had forgiven me so much when I opened my heart to Jesus Christ and he came into my life. And because he had forgiven me so much, man, I wanted to do anything I could. I wanted to love a lot. 
And I remember, you know, listen, when we were young, I was making five bucks an hour. We had two kids. Um, We were living up in Northern California. We actually stood in line for rice and for beans and stuff. And, but yet I always felt like, you know what, God, I know that I want to be faithful. And, And I was actually helping with a youth group. And I even used to tell the kids in the youth group, listen, it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. God isn't looking, okay, you got to do, it's just about consistency. And for us to be consistent, Malachi tells us you can never, ever outgive God. When I took over this church in Washington, it was a very, very small, little, tiny church. Very small. And in fact, the guys didn't even know if they could even pay the bills and they didn't have very much bills. They paid me, my salary was 300 bucks a week. I had four kids, you know, we had a little parsonage that we were living in, but that, that was my salary. But I watched and saw how God blessed and how God honored. But I also said, you know what, as a church, we're going to start tithing to missions. We're going to take whatever comes in 10% off the top and we're going to give to missions. And we saw God move and work. I had guys on my board that were like, okay, Pat, this isn't going to work. But you know what? Pretty soon we were doing 12%. Then we did 15%. Then we did 18%. We got all the way up to 20%. You know, my mission budget thing for giving to missions was like God just multiplied and multiplied. You cannot outgive God. Man. Amen. And, and again, when we are faithful, it, it, it's kind of like when we read the word. You know, sometimes people are like, well, what do you do when you read the word? And I go, well, don't do what I do. You, you do what God shows you. But, oh, and I'll say, well, I read through the Bible every year, which I've been doing for like 30 years and stuff. But then they'll go and they'll try to read through. And after, you know, the first or second day, and then I go, oh, that's too much. They can't give up. I said, no, 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 just start small. Just start small. It's a consistency that God wants that we would spend time with him. And I know I've shared this before, but, you know, I oftentimes tell, especially like with couples, hey, go grab one of those daily breads. We have them free at the church here. You grab a little daily bread. You put it on your toilet. It has a little verse and then a little thought for the day. You can read it while you're doing your business and just spend just even a little. Listen, God just wants a little bit of time. And when we set aside even the little bit of time, God will use it to speak and to minister to our hearts. That's what, that's what he wants. That's what he wants to do. But I love it because in 2 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with this whole thing. And he talks about the Corinthians there. He says, where they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to our, listen, can I tell you something? You putting like millions of dollars into the agape box is not going to get you into heaven. And if you think it is, stop it. Don't do it. Don't do it because it does, if you've not first given yourself to the Lord, it means nothing. But when we first give ourselves to the Lord, then everything we do after that, then God can be honored by that. And he says there in nine, he says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when you're reading through the Old Testament and every time they did a free will offering, Where it's just like, okay, guys, there's no requirements. There's no rules and regulations. You just come and give freely. It's always they had more than enough. God looks at us and says, listen, you cannot give me. But however it is you want to do, do something that you're consistent with and offering to the Lord. And do it out of a cheerful heart. And God will bless. God will honor. Sorry, did a little commercial there. Anyways, hey, turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we're going to talk a little bit 
about the battle of the five armies. And it's not Bilbo Baggins or Hobbits, but it's, and it actually is not just five, but it's four, four kings that go up against five kings. And the four kings kind of rout the five kings and then they run off with all the spoil and with all the stuff. Let's pick it up in verse 11. It said, then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provision and they went their way. Verse 12, they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and they departed. And I love this because it talks about Abram, brother Lot. Uh, turn with me over to, you know, one page to your left to chapter, to chapter 12 of Genesis. And there in Genesis chapter 12, or maybe it's two pages in your Bible, I don't know. Uh, but Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God gives Abraham this command, but what happens is Abraham doesn't really follow through with that command because he takes his dad with him the first part of the journey and then he leaves dad or dad must die and then he continues on, but he brings his um, nephew Lot with him. And then they're in the land and Lot, because he's tagging along with Abram, he gets blessed because God begins to bless Abraham. But it says the blessing is so much that they, they have so much you know, property and so much you know, cattle and livestock that the land could not contain them. So finally, Abraham goes up to Lot and he says, listen, listen. And because the herdmen were kind of having issues, he looks, at, he looks at Lot and he says, listen, Lot, you go that way, I'm going to go that way. You go that way, I'm going to go that way. And, 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 and I love that because in 1310 it says, and Lot lifted his eyes, saw all the, the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord. Listen, Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and they were separated from each other. But then it tells us that Lot not only, you know, chose that area, but then he went and he, he, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. But then not only did Lot pitch his tent towards Sodom, but then you see Lot dwelling in Sodom at the, at the gate. So he's like a judge in Sodom. What I find interesting is that with Lot, he began to compromise. And when we compromise, it always moves us in a direction. It moves us in a direction. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, the same thing that happened there in the Garden of Eden, where, where they compromise. And, and yet, if we walk in righteousness, righteousness will move us in a direction as well. But righteousness will move us in a direction of faith. So is there compromise or is there righteousness? Compromise always moves us in a direction to, I want what I want when I want it, and I really don't care. But in righteousness, it moves us in a direction of faith. Because in 13, 14, and 16, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated himself from him, Lift up your eyes now, and look from the place where you are 
northward, southward, eastward, and westward for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. Listen, for us, are we desiring to dwell in righteousness or are we dwelling in compromise? Both move you in a direction, one towards lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, the other one towards the promise of faith. But back in 14, pick it up in verse 13. It says, And one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the Timoth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshkol, and the brother of Amner, and they were allies with Abraham. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, and he came, and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and all his goods, as well as the women and the people. When it says Abram, the Hebrew, this is the first time the word Hebrew in scripture is mentioned. Uh, there's some debate about what it really means. Uh, some say it means to, to come from beyond. Others say the brother of Eber. But I personally just, I'm very simple. He came from Hebron. So they called him the Hebrew because he was from Hebron. That's, that's what I think. But anyways, I, that, that's debatable and stuff. But I love this because it says Abraham grabs his 318 trained servants. Now, I don't know the number 318. That has to mean something to somebody. And I think when we get to heaven, we might figure that one out. But he's got these guys that are trained servants. Listen, listen. Abraham lived in a time where there were kings and kingdoms that wanted to destroy other people and destroy their lives. And yet because Abraham knew uh, that there was kings and kingdoms who wanted to destroy, Abraham wanted those who were with him to be trained for battle, to be trained for battle. People, do you have an understand that we have an enemy that's out here and this enemy wants to destroy us. And if we are not desiring to be a trained servant, man, we will be defeated by the enemy. That's why the apostle Paul said, man, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil because the devil wants to destroy us. Jesus said he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, and the devil doesn't stop shooting those arrows at us. And if we are not allowing ourselves to be trained servants, the, the devil is just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And he's going to take us out. As he told Peter, man, he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to sift you like wheat. But again, husband, wife, do you know that the enemy is out to destroy your marriage? And if within your marriage you're not desiring to be a trained servant, Man, he will shoot and shoot and shoot and try to bring about damage within your relationship. Mom, dad, listen, doesn't it say in the scriptures to train your child in the way of the Lord? And if we are unwilling to train our child, man, the devil is shooting those wily darts and he will not stop and he wants to destroy and damage our kids. 
We want to be trained servants of the Lord. But Abraham, he grabs these trained servants with the other guys that he's hanging out with. They pursue the four kings that had run off with Lot and all the other stuff. It tells us, and I love this, as far as Dan, as far as Dan. Now, just stop for a minute because I'm going to tell you, from Hebron to Dan is 140 miles. 140 miles. That is a long way. Then it says, then they attacked him by night and pursued him as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus, which is another 100 miles. 250 miles they travel. 250 miles. And I love that. I was talking with Peter today, who's from Egypt. And I was saying, God, I wonder if they had horses or camels. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. They had camels, Pat. They had camels. And not only did they have camels, but they had the ones with the one hump. But we looked it up and it says that those camels can only go about 25 miles a day. So this was not something that happened like really quickly. This probably happened over the process of a few weeks or even uh, over a month. But what I love about this is Abraham was willing to do battle and travel 250 miles for one person, for one person. You know, I love that because Hebrews in chapter seven there, verse 25, it says, therefore he, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We used to say, he, Jesus Christ will go to the guttermost. No matter where you are within your life, as Pastor Dennis shared earlier, the love of God can reach you. You can't run so far or hide. You can't go anywhere away from the love of God that the love of God cannot find you and speak and minister to your heart. And Jesus is willing to go to the uttermost to bring us to him. As Hebrews 12 will tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of God. What was that joy that he did that for? Do you know it was you? That joy was me? That's what he saw. And that's why he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he says, you are the joy that I did all of this for. So you could be with me. You could be with me. Continuing on in verse 17, it says, Then, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of this guy, the king there, uh, who was with him. Then Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Verse 19, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and you take the goods for yourself. Verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord the God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, the portion of the men who went with me, Abner, Eshkel, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Listen, at this point, 
Abraham is met by two different kings, two different kings. One was the king of Sodom. The other was the king of Salem. The king of Sodom, Sodom, excuse me, he ruled a very wicked and perverse city, which the Lord would eventually destroy because of how wicked that city was. The other was the king of Salem, a king of righteousness, a king of peace. The king of Sodom, in a sense, he offered a bribe with strings attached. Hey, you take the goods and then I want to attach myself to you. I don't know about you, but uh, I hate the fact when somebody does something for me and there's strings attached. I, I never liked that. I have been burned so many times when I allowed somebody to do something, there's strings attached. And then when they yank on that string and then I get kind of dragged around, it's like, oh, I hate that. But you know what? Again, listen, listen. As a pastor, I have found that I can do that same thing. When I was pastoring up there, I had some people where they call me and they say, you know what, Pat? You seem to only call me when you want something. And I'm like, you know, that's not right. I'm sorry. And then let me not do that. But when we do things and there's strings attached, I always find that that's, that's just kind of a difficult thing. But what I love about this, the king of righteousness and the king of peace, he offers bread, wine, and a blessing. He offers bread, wine, and a blessing. This Melchizedek, he comes with bread and wine. What does that remind you of? And again, he's a forerunner. He's a, he's a type of Jesus Christ. Some people even believe it, it was Jesus uh, here in, in, the, in the book of Genesis. But, but he's a type of Christ. And the bread and wine speak of what? It speaks of communion. Communion. Communion with God. In a sense, what he has done. As Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Remember me till I come again. But then not only did he do that, but he also offered them a blessing. He offers them a blessing. It triggered my mind. Um, I used to do this all the time, and I probably shared this story, but um, I worked with a lot of people who struggled with a lot of addiction, and people would come, and they'd just drop them off at the church and stuff, and they'd say, hey, Pat, can you fix them and stuff? But when I would sit with them, I'd kind of go through this little spiel, and I would say, hey, listen, God offers life and blessing. This world offers curse. In fact, I had a, a, a friend of ours who called me today. Uh, she always, it's my birthday today. Anyways, but she called me to wish me happy birthday. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, she always calls me on my birthday. But anyway, she, and she is just so thankful that me, me and Mary spent like over two years with this girl. And uh, I mean, just watching her. I mean, she just was just hard and she told me to go nice on her. Uh, anyways, the, the work that God did within her life. But I remember even when I did a little spiel with her, hey, God offers life and blessing, but the world offers death and cursing. But God is a gentleman and you get to choose. What is it that you want to choose? And I remember her looking at me and she said, well, who wouldn't choose life and blessing? And I'm going, well, yeah, who wouldn't? But what are you going to choose? And she just kind of sat there and looked at me because the wheels were spinning because she knew there's a string attached here, Pat. I know it. If, if I say life and blessing, you're going to say, well, then what about this over here? Because this is what they were experiencing. This is where they were living. It was the death and the curse. And again, you know, I have so many people that they hear God offers life and blessing. Why don't you take it? Why don't you receive it? And yet they like, okay, yeah, but if I take that, then I got to get rid of this. And I'm just not ready to get rid of this. And I had quite a few people get up off my couch and leave my office who weren't willing 
to take the life and blessing because they weren't willing to allow the Lord to deal with this. And maybe that's a word for someone in here today that you're going through some things right now and you're hearing God speaking of life and blessing and you know the world's, what it's offering is the death and the curse because you've been living there. But God is a gentleman. He's not going to make you do something you don't want to do. You get to choose. And prayerfully, that choice would be the life and the blessing rather than settling for the death and the curse and and walking out, not having an experience with Jesus Christ who wants to pour his love into your heart and into your life. But I love it because what Melchizedek does here ties in with the promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Abraham will have a son. His name's Isaac. Isaac will have twins, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the the, the hairy man of the field, you know, he was the guy that was out shooting the game. And, and Jacob was the galloping gourmet who sat at home and was cooking and stuff like this. Um, because Esau was born first, he got the birthright. But one day he's out in the field, he's famished. He comes in and Jacob's sitting there cooking. And Esau says, give me some beans. And he goes, well, sell me your birthright and I'll give you the beans. He's like, well, what is good as a birthright? And so he sold his birthright. He despised, in a sense, his birthright. And then later down the road, when Isaac is ready to bless Esau and give him the birthright, Jacob deceives Isaac because he was so old he couldn't see. And he goes in and deceives him and steals the birthright again. And yet when Esau finds out, Esau, he's just mad. He wept. He was upset with dad. Come on, give me a blessing. Give me something. And yet Esau decides, I'm going to kill Jacob. That's what I'm going to do. So they, they um, Isaac, Rebecca, they send Jacob away. And he goes to his brother's Laban's. And there he stays for a very long time. And then he gets married. In fact, he gets married. He ends up with four wives while he's there and a bunch of whole kids. But then it's been many, many years down the road. And he decides he's going to go back to the land. That's where he wants to go. So he packs up everyone and they head out and they go back to the land of Canaan. And as they're traveling there, but as they come into the land, he hears that his brother Esau is coming like with 400 guys and he's thinking Esau is coming to kill me. And and so what he decides to do is I'm going to send all these gifts ahead of me and I'm going to try to pacify um, Esau. So he sends everybody in groups and he sends them off and he says, when you see Esau, say these are for him as a gift. And then Jacob decides, I'm going to spend the night by myself, which he actually doesn't spend by himself. The Lord comes and visits him. And they wrestle all night long. They wrestle all night long. And at the end of the night, or before it turns daybreak, Jacob says, hey, give me a blessing. And God decided to say, I'm going to change your name from Jacob, which is heel catcher, to Israel, governed by God. Then Esau go, or Jacob goes out and he's with everyone else. Esau comes up. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but Esau comes. He's happy to see him. He gets off. He comes up and gives him a big hug. They kiss, they make up and, and they're talking and stuff. But Esau does this. He says, hey, listen, all of that stuff, man. Why, what are you sending that to me for? You, you, you keep it. I have enough. 
And Jacob says, well, no, 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 you keep it because I have enough. Now, interesting, in the English, they use the same word. But in the Hebrew, they use radically different words. The word that Esau used for enough was, I got lots of stuff. I got lots of stuff. I don't need more stuff. I got lots of stuff. You keep it. But Jacob, having wrestled with God and is no longer the heel catcher, but is now governed by God, he says, no, I have enough. But the word Jacob used or Israel used was possessor of all things, possessor of all things. And I like that because that is the blessing that Melchizedek gives to Abram possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be Abraham, the God of most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Listen, listen, when we allow the Lord to do that work in our hearts and lives where we're no longer wrestling with him, we're no longer struggling with him, but we give him free reign, he makes us into possessors of all things. And you know what that does? It makes it so that all of the stuff, it just doesn't matter. And I, I, I really think we have a problem especially here in America, with the stuff that we want it, we like it, and, and it's, it's ours. It's not ours. It's God's. And God can give to what he wants, to who he wants, when he wants. And if we are surrendered to him, he can take us from being all worried about the stuff to being a possessor of all things. Listen, people, Melchizedek, sends out that blessing. In a sense, as he is a type of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, listen, again, you want life and blessing? You get to choose. Pick, choose, choose me. Choose the life and blessing. Don't settle for the death. Don't settle for the cursing. Choose life this day. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Lord, I ask and pray for each and every one of us in here today as we are looking to you and are surrendered to you. Lord, as Melchizedek offered that blessing and in a sense, it's the same blessing that God spoke to Abraham, the same blessing that Jesus speaks to each and every one of us that's here today, that we would open our hearts, we would choose the life that you have for us. And if you are sitting here today and you've been making choices that are not choices of life and blessing, but have been choices of death and curse, again, God is just asking you, just just turn to him. Open your heart to him. Allow him to come and to wash and to cleanse. Allow Jesus Christ to be that high priest. In a sense, not just to cover our sins, but to throw it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more. Because he is the one who wants to do that. And if we ask him, the Bible says he will come, he will do that work within our hearts and lives. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can stop and ponder your word and the things that you've written for us. Uh, Continue to minister, continue to speak our hearts as we continue to look to you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name all God's people agree by saying amen thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message if you have any questions or just want to check us out make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org God bless you guys and we'll see you next week